Why is this year's Atlantic hurricane season been so quiet? And how does India plan to decarbonize? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckersphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a climate communicator. Today is Tuesday, September 26th. Let's jump right into today's news. I want to give a heads up before we start that this will be my last episode for the week. I am going on a family trip today until the 16th, and I want to mostly disconnect for a time while I'm gone to give myself a break. I say mostly because I am incapable of fully disconnecting. In that vein, I will link a second Notion link in the description box below that I plan to continue updating with links as I briefly check the newsletters each day. No summaries or paragraphs, just links to the news stories I consider to be the most important. Also, remember that I include a list of all my favorite climate newsletters in the source list linked in the description. That being said, I will be back to making your regularly scheduled podcast episodes starting on September 19th, so be sure to check back then. But with that, let's dive into the news stories for today, starting with some extreme weather events. The Netherlands has long been worried and preparing for climate-induced sea level rise to spell trouble for its country. But the recent drought, which is Europe's worst in 500 years, and the heat wave have posed an unexpected issue. As many as 1 million Dutch homes built on piles of wooden poles risk seeing their foundations rot from fungi due to them being exposed as groundwater levels recede. This is mostly an issue for homes built before the 1970s. This problem might cost $100 million or 86.5 million pounds to fix, according to a small group of engineers looking into the matter. This could also be a problem in parts of Sweden, Germany, and Italy's Venice. Okay, remember a few months ago I said this hurricane season was expected to be really bad this year? What happened to that? This has been the quietest Atlantic hurricane season in 25 years, with there being a 60-day interval between Tropical Storm Colin on July 3rd and Hurricane Danielle on September 1st. I haven't mentioned Danielle because she never made landfall anywhere. Now Tropical Storm Earl has followed her lead and will likely also become a hurricane but not make landfall. This season was predicted to be the seventh above average active hurricane season in a row based on us being in the second year of a La Nina event and a sighting of a blob of warm water in the Gulf that usually instigates an active season. We were expecting over the average 14 named storms, but we've only had five so far. Scientists are honestly a bit puzzled, but say dry air and wind shear are to blame. These conditions have shown up in the Bermuda High, a high-pressure system that sits over the Atlantic Ocean, being smaller and more north than anticipated. This system is what's caused high temperatures in Europe and Canada. Only three quiet seasons like this have occurred since records began being kept in 1944, so there are not many examples to point to to determine how the season will end. When this kind of thing happened in 1961, the season pivoted around late August to become a very active season. But the second time, which happened in 1997, stayed quiet. So experts say we shouldn't let our guard down yet because we don't quite know what to expect. With Danielle and Earl appearing so close to each other, conditions might be picking up for a late active season even still. In the U.S. on Sunday, Georgia experienced a one-in-a-thousand-year rainfall event, which caused rivers and lakes to swell and spur flash floods. More than 80 million people in the eastern U.S. were under a flood advisory warning yesterday. Meanwhile, Salt Lake City, Utah hit a new September record of 103 degrees Fahrenheit or 39.4 degrees Celsius as the heat wave in the western and southern U.S. continues. 
The city of Long Beach in Southern California recently beat its daily high when it reached 108 degrees Fahrenheit or 42.2 degrees Celsius. Further north, two people have died as two fires continue to rage in the Siskiyou County near the California-Oregon border. About 2,300 people have been ordered to evacuate since these fires began Friday. The fires are being stoked by winds, a horrible drought, and likely California's worst heat wave of the year. Temperatures in the area could reach 103 degrees Fahrenheit in the coming days. This is the second time this summer that the Siskiyou County has had to put out fires. Last month, the McKinley Fire killed four people and destroyed 185 structures, becoming the largest fire in the state this year. One rural town in the county, Weed, only has 2,600 residents and has seen three major wildfires in the past eight years. The Mills Fire, which has burned about seven square acres and 50 structures so far, is about 25% contained, while the Mountain Fire, which has burned 10 square acres so far, is only 5% contained. Let's look at a few climate victories. France's President Macron and Germany's Chancellor Schultz are working to get the EU to implement a windfall tax on energy, aka fossil fuel, companies that are producing record profits while the continent's citizens are struggling to keep the lights on. The windfall tax money could be put back in citizens' pockets or help artificially lower the price of energy. So far, only the UK has implemented this form of tax that was towards the beginning of the energy crisis. Granted, they also incentivize fossil fuel companies to explore and produce more products with low lease sales costs that prove to provide more value to the companies than the value lost by the taxes. So there were issues for sure. And now the UK's windfall tax will probably be overturned by their new prime minister, Truss. Yes, Liz Truss, who I've talked about for a few days now, has officially been selected as the next prime minister. As a reminder, she wants to bring back fracking despite there being little UK support and her own party halting this form of fossil fuel extraction in 2019. She wants to remove levies from energy bills that support clean power and home installations. She wants to increase drilling for oil and gas in the North Sea. And as I said, remove windfall taxes for fossil fuel companies. And she has beef with solar farms, saying they take up valuable farmland despite only being likely to take up 0.3% of UK land by the highest estimates, which is half of the amount of land currently taken up by golf courses. Solar installations currently only take up 0.1% of UK land. But she likes offshore wind farms, so I guess that's something. Sorry to sneak that little climate fail in the middle of the climate victory. So back to the EU's potential windfall tax. EU ministers will likely meet on Friday to discuss the possibility. President Macron says if the EU doesn't take up this as a whole, he will consider it on a national level. Germany just announced it will officially delay the phase-out of two nuclear plants until later in 2023 to cope during the winter. They will remain fully staffed and on standby for use, but not on until needed. And back in the UK now, around 50 Extinction Rebellion activists held peaceful yet disruptive protests in and around Parliament Friday, gluing and chaining themselves to places like the Speaker's chair in the House of Commons chamber and the building's outside gate. Those in the Palace of Westminster signed up to tour the site before going rogue. They held up signs and read out a speech demanding for a citizens' assembly to act on climate matters. Six protesters were arrested on, quote, suspicion of offenses under Section 128 of the Serious Organized Crime and Police Act of 2005. Time for another climate fail. 
China imported a record $1.8 billion or 274,000 tons of beef in July, according to Global Agritrends. That's up by $500 million since March, which is a huge spike. Most of this demand is met by Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay. This is a worrying trend because beef is the most emissions-heavy form of meat due to cattle burping and farting methane, manure methane emissions, and associated land use changes. Beef represents about a quarter of global land use changes, mostly which comes in the form of deforestation. Brazil's a huge source of that, with its beef industry being a huge contributor to Amazon rainforest deforestation. As I often say, the Amazon is an essential biodiversity hub, regional climate controller, and carbon sink. What's interesting is China's beef trend appears around the same time the demand for pork significantly drops. I'm not sure what happened there. Let's finish today's episode with some green hydrogen news. People familiar with the matter recently told Bloomberg that India wants to produce 25 million tons of green hydrogen by 2047 in an effort to reduce emissions. Green hydrogen is made via clean energy and can be an important tool to reduce emissions in hard-to-decarbonize sectors like cement, steel, and fertilizers. India's current output of green hydrogen is very low at the moment, so this will be a huge shift. It's unclear how cost-effective and energy-efficient banking on this form of clean energy will be, though, as it takes up a lot of energy to run the electrolyzers that break up water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen. India, the third largest emitter in the world, has the goal of being net zero by 2070. The government is considering using production-linked incentives to encourage the sector to grow. And that was your climate recap for Tuesday, September 6th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Beckensphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. I'll see you on September 19th. Bye for now.